Welcome to Team Up with Beata. I'm Beata Padua, and I'm very excited that you are here. This is a podcast about the teams of the future and the right ingredients for that pivot. This podcast will make you believe in teamwork again. Woohoo! Picture this. You're sitting in a small room. Really small. No windows, just three chairs. On one of these chairs is you. On the other chair is your colleague. And the third chair is taken by your manager, as in your and your colleague's manager. You are feeling a little bit anxious. Your palms are sweaty. You're getting, you know, very uncomfortable. Just saying this makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. There is a uncomfortable silence also in the room and everybody is so freaking serious. They have the face on, you know, the serious looks. You wonder, what the heck am I doing here? Am I getting fired? Then finally, after a long break and long uncomfortable looks, your manager speaks up and says, there seems to be a misunderstanding between the two of you. Have you ever been in such situation where a small misunderstanding blows out of proportion and right into the small room with either your manager, a coach or an agile coach or someone from HR, you know, one of the people functions or whoever in your organization has that hat who acts as a mediator. Yeah, have you? All right. Well, I have been. I have been in that situation. And I have to tell you, it's not a pleasant experience. And if you haven't been, (laughs) I don't wish you that. Okay. It doesn't really feel so good. It does make some of us feel a little under the radar. At least that's how I felt. I felt a little bit like in one of those interrogation rooms. You know, one of those rooms almost out of the CSI TV shows where the detective is asking the suspect a bunch of uncomfortable questions. And the rooms are small, claustrophobic. There is no windows. There is this mirror. You think it's a mirror? But there is people behind it watching you. There's more people. And also a clock on the wall occasionally. That's not exactly what you will see in the small mediation rooms or office rooms where I have been, where I've been on either side, whether being the mediator or being the one that's that was um that was getting help. <laughs> that's the word I think it was used in that situation. But in my mind it felt like that small interrogation room from CSI. In my case, I had no idea I was in conflict with someone, with this particular person, until we sat down in the room. And in the case of this situation, my manager was, you know, taking sides. And I would say that's not super common. It's not something that managers do or should do. After all, their goal is to, or the goal of the mediator is to stay non-biased. But hey, we are only human, so that can happen. Either way, long story short, I ended up quitting that place as things escalated super fast and my work was just becoming difficult. That's like for another podcast. 
But the conflict part where the manager has to solve it, where you're in that situation where either you have to mediate it, you're, you are the one that the, the mediation is facilitated for, it's not the situation you want to end up in. So now let's pause for a second. I wonder, if you were my manager at the time, what would you do? If you were me or my colleague, how would you feel? Hmm? In our teams, we all strive for a positive team dynamic. That's all from how we interact with each other, how we communicate and how we cooperate, collaborate. If we have a positive team dynamic, we can develop, you know, share vision, set and accomplish common goals. Basically, we can accomplish big things. And also we can embrace conflict. So that's why team building is so vital to our teams. And I'm not thinking here about, you know, the big bang team buildings that we do once or twice a year, sometimes under the name of the retreat, kickoff, liftoff. Those are still important, but I think continuous way of growing together and learning about each other's similarities and differences it's equally important or if, if it's not, actually it's more important so daily actions daily things weekly things that we can do routines habits that we can create are very important rather than one-off uncomfortable step out your comfort zone exercises facilitated by people like me <laughs> in big rooms they are important they're vital but they're like you know the cherry on top you really need to work all year round around these so in any relationship whether it's our teams friends family you name it spouse constructive or healthy conflict can be a great thing it can strengthen our bonds, create a shared sense of direction and glue us together in, as a group or as a couple or as a pair of friends. All right? Magic. Hmm? Almost dreamy. Believe it or not, our teams are made up of us, human beings. And where humans are involved, disagreements are inevitable. And that's absolutely okay. The word conflict has a very negative sound to it. But it can also be positive. So it depends where you place the problem. Is it distractive, unhealthy? In a distractive or unhealthy conflict, there is a conflict between you and me. And we are going against each other, head to head. And it's either I'm right or you're right or I'm wrong or you're wrong. And that's not really constructive, okay? But the constructive, the healthy, is when we are both together or even as a group facing the problem. So we're looking at the problem constructively. Think for a moment. Have you experienced any disagreements recently? And don't say no, because you're a human. That happens every day. Were they leading to a big conflict? Or were there some that ended up 
in you and your team solving a big problem together in a creative way. Hmm? Now, we would all want these disagreements to be constructive and healthy rather than destructive and unhealthy. Then resolve the destructive ones so they don't escalate. As we know, tiny disagreements can cause real trouble from people leaving our team, organization, creating toxic behaviors. I don't like that word, but let's just use it since we're all using it. Or even people burning out or being excluded from various events, meetings, discussions, decisions, and much more. Now, think about your everyday life right now, today, this week. Lately, maybe you're just like me. You wake up, you read the news. Okay, you have breakfast and you all that routine. But then you read or watch the news. And if you don't, you might, it might pop out on social media. Even that good friend that is always sharing cat videos all of a sudden is sharing the terrible news that are happening all over the world because she feels affected by it. So either way, that the conflicts that are happening in the world start affecting you. We are surrounded by them. I'm talking about the worldwide conflicts. Many of them could have been prevented. Did you know that? Hmm? When we start thinking about it, they could have been prevented. And in case of the war, I think many have been prevented. We just don't know about it. They're so much more complex, though, than our teams. But they're just, you know, teams, multiple teams of people making a country. And yeah, whoever is involved in it, it gets affected, whether it's the country or its allies, everyone around it, and the world, the spectators too. So since conflicts are all around, around us, around our lives, is there any way to prevent conflicts in our teams and organizations, the groups that we work in? The destructive conflict, that is. Is there a way to prevent them? before things blow out of proportion and right into the tiny conflict resolution room that I have been placed in? Well, I have some good news for you. <laughs> I hope you're listening to this in the morning so you have at least one good news of the day. Conflicts don't need to be escalated. They can be prevented. There are plenty of ways of not allowing for conflict to escalate into a destructive conflict and into a conflict resolution stage. There are ways we can all learn how to approach it in a more comfortable, more self-aware way. And there we learn about each other, about how we want to work together, and we do it continuously, day by day, week by week, step by step, small steps. And no matter misunderstanding or conflict there might be, your team comes out of it stronger. If you look at it from a distance, your team is most likely having conflicts about three different things. There is um, tension around what are we doing. There is tension around who is doing it. And how are we doing it? How does it get done? So that's around tasks, user stories, epics that we're working on, the relationships we have, and the process that we work with. 
So today, I want to talk to you more about conflict prevention rather than conflict resolution in our teams. To do that, let's start by looking into your brain. (laughs) Okay, like everybody's brain, not just your brain, because we are going to learn from neuroscience perspective. Have you ever had someone get angry at you or attack you perhaps when you mentioned something that they disagreed with? I'm sure you did. We all do that. Like I said, on a daily basis, you feel stressed when that happens and you're, you're, you're get angry, most likely frustrated. All these t- feelings come out. But you also recognize that stress in your body. When this happens, your body wants to reduce the mental stress. And in doing so, your brain might reject that information or try to justify your actions. Have you ever had that? I had. I mean, just this morning, okay? Let me not even get into that. So you go into this classic fight, flight, or freeze response. So, you know, should I chase the tiger, freeze, like don't move, maybe the tiger won't notice me, or run away from it, like our ancestors did, right? In their case, the tiger was a real deal. In this case, a personal attack could be seen as that tiger. It's pressing exactly the same buttons as tigers did back in the days. I know what you might be thinking right now. You might think, all right, Beata, our brains must have developed over the years. And we are much more advanced than our ancestors, or at least our brains are. Since we are, why wouldn't our brains be? Well, it turns out that certain parts have just shifted. Shifted who is the scary fella, you know? Maybe it's not the tiger, but it could be a car that you're trying to avoid when you're crossing the street. That's one of our physical threats nowadays. But it can be things that are much smaller too. Like, should I have another piece of cake or, or not? Seriously, like it's that simple. Our brains are more simple than we think, even though we use our brains to think. Now, since our lovely neuroscientists have been busy using all the MRI scans and more tools that they have right now, this is relatively new discovery from 2009 by um, lovely researchers called Liberman and Eisenberger. They discovered that our brain treats the physical threat or reward the same way as the social threat or reward. Our brains see no difference between the tiger or let's say presenting at a large conference. Thousands of people looking at you and you're just 1% on the stage. Do you feel it? (laughs) It's almost real. It's a real threat. In 2008, another scientist named Elliot discovered that our capacity to collaborate with others is reduced by a threat response and increased under a reward. As a species, we develop threat response. So that's a flood of physiological, emotional and cognitive events that happen when we recognize a conflict, when we find ourselves in a conflict. Our bodies can respond to that situation just like it did for our ancestors when they saw a tiger. 
and psychologists refer to these experiences as social threats. In fact, David Rock developed a model of social threats and rewards called SCARF. He was the first in the world to combine neuroscience research and our work. That's how the neuroleadership concept was born. His model helped us to collaborate and work effectively with people by understanding how they, how we, react to threats and rewards. And understanding and consciously managing those responses can help us to be more resilient, can help us to improve our performance, our team's performance, and help our teammates doing that too. S-C-A-R-F, SCARF. So that stands for status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. Each of these five are physical locations in our brains. I call them buttons <laughs> to make it more visual for myself. Those buttons get activated, they get pressed, depending on what's happening around us. Whether it is something real that we can see or perceive, say when someone disagrees with us. Whether it's something real, physical, that you can see, touch, or something that only is in your brain. These buttons get pressed for both reasons. When it's something fun and pleasurable, but also when someone disagrees with us. Okay, so let's uh, dissect them one by one and start with status. Have you ever seen someone receiving the Employee of the Year Award? Or have you ever worked with a junior or senior developer or junior or senior designer? Perhaps you had a career ladder to climb for a promotion that is shared in the entire organization where people have numbers next to their names in the chat so you can actually see who is higher in the hierarchy and who is lower. Or when you received a certification after a training course you attended and you make sure to just brag about it on LinkedIn or at least highlight it in your CV. It's totally normal. We all have done the above. You're not, you know, different or special. It's just human. When it comes to status, it's also about fitting into a team, feeling of belonging and that feeling that we all search for, the personal success that is all linked to status. And lastly, you know, my team is better than yours. That's also about status. Sometimes we have the teams competing against each other. Sometimes we actually create these competitions in our organizations. Moving on to certainty. Imagine finishing your work today and not being certain that you will have a job tomorrow. Would you be able to sleep at night? What would happen to your house if you lose a job? What would you do with the holidays that you planned? Would you be able to go? Depending on how certain you are about being able to go to work tomorrow, your brain will navigate toward the threat or to reward. All right, the third one on the SCARF model, it's autonomy. And that's all about the sense of control. Knowing that you're certain about the solution is great for the product you work on. But the product manager comes and says, nope. Or you talk to the users, design the app around it, and the CEO changes the direction of the company. 
doesn't tell anyone. It just does it without a clear reason and without accessing the data or asking you as a researcher for opinion. You might feel frustrated. Why didn't they bring something to the team? Why didn't they ask us? You wouldn't feel good about it. You would feel angry, anxious, frustrated. Fourth one, it's called relatedness. It's all about being with other people, being with your team, being in your organization. When you can relate to each other in a team, when we can relate to each other, we are happy. We're generally happy. We have all these fun hormones kicking in like oxytocin and endorphin. But if we are not able to relate to people, those toxic chemicals kick in instead. And yes, that's all proved by science. Unfortunately, the toxic chemicals are real too. Now, finally, the last one, fairness. If I'm not getting paid fair for my work, my brain reacts to that. And you guessed it, it reacts with the threat response. But even on a disagreement with your colleague on something seemingly trivial at first, might activate this in their brain or in your brain. Or how does our work get distributed in our team? Should I only work on maintenance tasks while my teammate picks up all the fun and innovative tasks that later lead to the reward, to the higher pay or higher status? You see, talking to them about it might activate their status and your furnace button in the brain. So all these sometimes get activated at the same time. That's just adding the fun to it. Funny thing, our brains, huh? So depending what button do I press in your brain, not just me, but, you know, the, the opponent, let's say, is it status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, or fairness, or mix of all of them, you will respond differently. So think of it as a scale. You would either want to go away from that threat response or towards the reward response. If any of the above happens and any of the buttons gets pressed, any of the five buttons, in order for you not to activate your primal brain and start screaming at your colleague in front of everybody else, try being mindful in the moment. Take a deep breath. Think about what am I feeling? Ask yourself internally, what am I feeling in this situation? What button did this just press in my brain from the scarf model? And remember, feelings are not facts. You are not your feelings. You might want to leave the room and write down those feelings if you have that possibility. Or you might want to say, I'll get back to you. I'll come back. Let's discuss this later today, tomorrow. I need to think about this rather than throw yourself at your colleague with the first thought that you have. And when you do get back to your colleague, think about it. Think about the words you use in response to the perceived threat from your colleague. Because sometimes changing a vocabulary and injecting a little humor can help, can make a big difference. That does not mean turning potential conflict into a joke. It means using the words that really matter, using the right words and not using words like always, never. You always say that. You never do that. That's not going to help you. One thing that can also help here is to simply let it go. <laughs> I'm not quoting Frozen here, all right? It's just let it go. If you can't control it, move on. 
save your energy. Now that we talked about the big one, our brains and how they respond to things, let's talk about what you can do to mitigate the conflict, not just you individually with your brain and how you respond to things. Let's look into various solutions that and perspectives that may help when it comes to understanding your team. In this day and age, the chances of you working in a multicultural team with people coming from different backgrounds, it's very high. Oftentimes, I'm born in one place, I work in another place, or your team is distributed across the world, or even just a country you live in. It's totally normal. And I think that is the new norm. That's the way we work these days. If you do work with only one culture in your team, I mean, that's still possible. But even if you use the same language, there are chances that you might be coming from a big town and someone else from a smaller town or a village. So those cultural differences are very important to understand. Another thing that is important to understand is our general differences, cultural, but also societal. The privileges you had or you didn't, the opportunities that you had and others didn't, those are also playing a vital role in how we work in our teams. Many of us don't like to think about it on a daily basis, but it's very present in the teams I've worked with. It's sometimes the small misunderstanding can be caused by the cultural differences, like the Swedish guy talking to a Dutch guy. It's just a recipe for conflict. The small misunderstandings I've witnessed where the Swedish guy thinks, all right, this is just... A discussion we're going to have while the Dutch guy says this is it we're doing it different ways of working depending on the culture and fun story I remember not just the Dutch but many other cultures can come across as quite confrontative not for each other but they can come across as confrontative and I myself come from the Polish culture and the amount of times I've heard that I'm arguing with someone or that I'm argumentative or that I'm too direct while I didn't know any better at the time you know I was nearly out of my country I never lived in another country and there I am placed myself in London in the middle of England which is a incredibly multicultural city so all these nuances between our cultures can make a really big difference in how we communicate with the team related to that can be If you're communicating in English, whether English is your first language or second language, all these nuances, all these things that we assume. I've seen people arguing over something and they actually meant the same thing, but because they said something else in English. They didn't know the word or they assumed something and didn't clarify it. So this is really, I think this is really important to start paying attention to. Is your colleague saying what they mean? Are you hearing what they mean? Or are you just assuming (laughs) that? All right. So think about that. Sometimes replay in your brain what are they trying to say and start thinking about bringing more and more similarities that you have rather than cultural differences. You can try this exercise. It's a very simple icebreaker. You can use it in meeting, workshop, or you can just have like a fun Friday icebreaker day, whatever. Um, do this exercise where you can pick five to ten things that you all have in common so as a group you go around the room 
and name five things that you all have in common as a team. I've seen people saying things like, we all work on a computer, we all work from home, or we all like coffee, or, you know, things that you can learn about your team. And you'd be surprised how many similarities you have. So try to think of those rather than the differences that you have in the culture, but be mindful about the differences that Sometimes what you brought up with, even if you're brought up in an English-speaking country and your teammate from Denmark says something, they maybe don't say that thing that you think they say, okay? I know, I know. It's very complicated, but I'm sure you can make it. And I'm sure you've done it before and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Different cultures have different way of handling disagreements too, you know? For instance... In Sweden, where I live, and perhaps Japan and and many other countries are similar to that, people try to avoid conflict. So sometimes I would have people here in Sweden either use the word maybe instead of no, or they would try to not really say anything, which the Polish person inside of me gets so triggered. Like, why don't you respond? You know, don't you care? Nobody Nobody wants to answer, you know, I get so triggered. But I have to be mindful of that. It's not the culture they are familiar. The second step after you've understood your differences, maybe the cultural can be your the background. I focus on the cultural ones because I find them the most fascinating, but it could be the, the societal backgrounds, privileges you had. Step two. And for me, that would be creating alignment between what the team wants and how you want to work. Often we have a clashes in our team for how do we want to work, what is the process that we want to follow, or when do we want to have meetings or stand-ups, what time of the day. We focus our energy and we spend so much time debating about that. If we don't agree, if we don't say these are the norms in our team, we might spend days, months, if not years, working in that tension, in a little tension. So something that you can do here, if you don't have that already, It does require a little bit of work, but once you have it, you can review it frequently. So creating working agreement with your team or team norms. There's many ways to call this. Some create a document. I like to create something visual, maybe a poster, where it's extremely simple to read what are the rules in our team. How do we work? What time do we meet? How do we handle conflict and disagreement in our team? How do we give each other feedback? Do we give each other feedback? And all these things and nuances around our team. Another, like the the flip side or the other side of this coin of working agreement is sort of the agreement of how you want to be treated. So we all work together in a group and it's really handy to start developing the individual person perspective in your team. So creating something like work with me manual or how do I like to work or washing instructions I've used in the past. Same thing, different name. The core of it is to write down how do you like to work, what's okay, what's not okay for you, and then presenting it to your team and they in the same session will present it to you. The purpose of it is not to convince someone that they should work differently, is to accept that we are different, that we like to work differently, that this is how we like to work. I'm sure you can name hundreds of things. Focusing on 
smaller number that people can memorize would be great. Things like come to me for solutions. I really like bounce ideas off, you know, or I often used to put like disturb me all the time. I love to be disturbed. I know it's strange, but I love to be disturbed. And if you don't see me, I'm most likely in a small chair trying not to get disturbed. And that's when I'm getting my work done that is related to admin tasks, planning tasks, and so on. Anything you can think of, anything that is unique about you and unique about your work. Okay. Lastly, I want to introduce you to non-violent communication. And that's a huge topic. So let's just understand how you can use it to your advantage. It's often used in conflict resolution. So you, if you do end up in that stage, it's really helpful to use non-violent communication. It's a technique or a method developed by Marshall Rosenberg. So Nonviolent communication, or an NVC for short, does help us to understand our emotions better. In NVC, Marshall Rosenberg distinguished between two forms of communication. And they're quite visual, so it's easy for us to remember. One is called the jackal, and the other one, the giraffe. So the jackal is like this animal. And when I first heard about it, I was like, what is this? <laughs> English is not my first language. So I only know limited amount of animals in my head and I quickly googled and it's it looks like something between a fox and a wolf. So it's like a size of a fox, but it looks like a wolf. <laughs> so that's the jackal. And the second one, like I said, is the giraffe and we all know how the giraffe looks like. Giraffe has certain attributes and that is like a <laughs> the perfect person. So it's open, respectful, assertive and non-judgmental. The jackal, on the other hand, accuses, judges, reproaches, and manipulates. So the idea is that we have both of these animals hiding inside of us, and it's just a matter of which one do we choose to release. And the concept says, all right, keep the jackal in a cage, and then let the giraffe out. When it comes to communication, NBC has these four elements or steps, observation, emotion, value and need. Step number one is observation, in which you stick to the facts and you don't make interpretation. And most of it, don't judge. In that communication, you would say things like, what I can see is, what I hear is that you, what I notice is that these are very good starters of observation, how we observe situations. Step number two, emotion is focusing on putting in words on how you feel about it. So, are you angry? Are you sad? Do you fear something? Or joy? What are you joyful for? What brings you joy? And here you would say things like, I'm hurt. I'm very touched. I'm highly disappointed. This irritates me. And so on. Step three is the need. What do you think you find important? What values are important for you? What do you, values do you stand by? What do you need? What would you appreciate if you respected? And so on. In this step, you will say things like, I always find it important to, I would like, what counts for me is. Then step four, the request. So the request you make to the other person. And it's basically all about expectations. And you point them out unambiguously. Yes, as probably you guessed, it's all about you making suggestions. 
So you say things like, I would really like you to do this. I insist on you doing that. I want you to immediately, mm, that's why I asked you to. Mm. So think about it as an example. So your colleague is planning to go on holiday, but hasn't told the team, just applied in the system and the manager approved it. And the manager is like, okay, yeah, I assume that you talk to the team. I mean, this is how we do it here. These are the rules in our team. And you realize that there is so much work to do and you're committed in this sprint for a certain amount of work. And this is like messing up the whole sprint. And yeah, some of your teammates, including you, will have to put up more work. You could go all jackal on, on this person and not be really nice and be judgmental. But you can also be going straight to them and say, and, and first stick to the facts. So say, I noticed that you applied for holiday and you didn't talk to us, to the team first. Then you will go to step number two and you express how you feel about it. So you will say, I really feel irritated right now. This makes me very stressed because we have planned for this and now most of our team will have to take this, your work on. So then step three, you tell this person what you need and you say, I need this part of your work to be finished or I need this part to be completed before you leave on holiday or I need, yeah, you can add many needs and many things that you need to be, to have done. And then step number four, you will tell this person exactly what you need them to do. I would like you to pair program with me today and show me everything that you've been working on. So then we can have a smooth transition to your holidays and so on. I mean, you can think of any suggestions that you want to do. You can ask this person to create a lunch and learn tomorrow where they share everything that they have done and they know with the team. If you don't have these practices in place to sort of prevent such unexpected events, Either way, it's still good to sort of express what you want this person to do. And I mean, it's, it doesn't mean that they will, but this is your way of communicating in a nonviolent way instead of expressing that you really want them to do this now. Why didn't they tell you that they're going on holiday, etc., etc.? Obviously, you can use NVC in so many other situations. Oftentimes, in the conflict resolution stage, it's really important to have a skilled nonviolent communication, not even an expert, but someone who's seriously nerded out on this and has experience and is willing to take that mediator role. But even you can do this before things go out of go out of proportion. Try discussing with your team what is nonviolent communication, how you want to use it, and you found this concept very interesting, and share a lunch and learn in your team and talk about those scenarios. I'm sure people will appreciate it. It's extremely useful technique has been used by many, many teams in the world. So here you have it. Ways to prevent conflict in your team. Ways to make things go smoother. I'm really curious now, after you've heard all these different ways of preventing conflict and how they relate to each other, after hearing all of the above, how could have my manager at the time have done a better job? Other than set clear expectations, invest time in making us a team before bringing us into the room, we were a relatively new team, at least the two of us were new in the team, this manager could have created a space for sharing vulnerability and gaining trust through that. We talked about it in the previous episode, in the first episode. They could also facilitate creation of working agreement in our team, 
they could have uh, created a way for each of us to describe how we like to work. But most of all, this manager, in my humble opinion, should have confronted the problem when it arrived. Don't let it sit, you know? The longer the, the disagreement, the misunderstanding, the longer you make it sit and not discuss about it, the worse it gets. And in this case, manager should have directly confront the elephant in the room for us, okay? And I'll leave you to answer the other question or maybe a dual question. What could I have done better as a colleague at the time? What could have my colleague done better at the time? How we should have acted? There are so many more ways of doing this. I'm sharing with you my perspective and how I like to approach conflict um, before it blows out of proportion. So in the end of the day, we leave work and have a feeling of fulfillment and that together we contributed to something much bigger than ourselves. If your team ends up in the conflict or your colleagues end up in a conflict that escalates, you might need a professional to help you mediate that conflict and create conflict resolution meeting. It doesn't have to be your manager. If you don't have a high trust in your manager, you can go and find another person in the company that can help you do that, from HR to um, a coach or even a manager from another team. It's the most important to solve the conflict right there, right now, rather than, you know, make it make it into a, a bigger thing. So it really all depends on the structure of your organization and the way of working. And remember, the only thing you can control is how you react to the situation, how you react to a problem at hand. You can't control the outcome. You can control the input. All right. Next time you find yourself in a misunderstanding, think that not all conflict has to be destructive. But when it is, don't fear or avoid it. Challenge it directly. Start with your brain. Think of the scarf model. What buttons are being pressed in my brain? Continue analyzing situation. What is the other person trying to say? Did I understood the cultural nuances and other factors that may play here? Am I using the right words? Am I attacking the person? Or the problem? Am I controlling my emotions? What did I learn about nonviolent communication? Should I follow the four steps? Observation, feeling, needs, and request? And if you do that, I'm sure you'll be on a great start towards your own and your team's success. And you won't end up, like me, in a small room with three chairs and no windows. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I surely did. It was a quite a challenging one because we do all think that conflict is such a negative word, but let's together try to shift that thought and that perspective. And yeah, let's start having more positive and healthy conflicts in our teams. All right. I'll see you. I hear you uh, next week. Until then. Bye-bye. <laughs>